changed? Everybody's d- data is getting dirtier. Oh. And if I think yeah. about the last time I saw you two, it was probably six months ago at Node in San Francisco, and I know Johannes was wearing what the green data shirt. Yeah, I have that shirt. Yeah, about uh, being an environmentalist. Yes. Can you talk about that? I think we're just going to just get right into the podcast right now. We're recording. Um, welcome, Johannes, to PSA Today, which stands for Privacy, Surveillance, and Anonymity. And you're here with Kalia, Identity Woman, and myself, Seth Goldstein. Um, Johannes, do you want to introduce yourself and talk about green data? Sure. So I am Johannes Ernst. Um, I live in Silicon Valley, have for a long time, uh, originally from Germany. So as I say, now I cannot speak either language probably. Um, I've been um, working on things related to uh, user control of the data that they care about for a a long time uh, in so many different ways. And I think over the years, I've met Kalia what? 10, no, 15, oh, must be 15 years ago. Months ago. You were at the first Internet Identity Workshop, and I think we knew each other even before then because the community that met at that first workshop had already been interacting. Yeah, I seem to remember hanging out with you at um, Esther Dyson's PC Forum, one of the last uh, PC Forums yep. she had. In this oh, yeah, place. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When that's when we when we all called it user-centric identity and thought it was time that users reassert their control over their identity online. And uh, you know, here we are, 15 years later, and we haven't quite gotten here yet. Um, but maybe one of these days will uh, we will. Um, and then um, let's see. I currently have a, a company called Indie Computing. Uh, we are selling uh, home servers, uh, server appliances that you can put into your home or into your small business that do a lot of stuff that you usually, usually otherwise would uh, use other people's clouds for. So if you want to do things like uh, file sharing across your devices or file sharing within your family or within your small business, um, you know, what you might want to do today is uh, uh, pick Google Drive or Dropbox or some such thing, uh, but uh, what we sell is basically do it on your own hardware um, in, in a place that you control because you know privacy starts with actually having control over who your data, uh, who, where your data is and who has access to it, and that is much, much simpler if it is on hardware that you actually can you know turn off and you decide who gets to access to and who doesn't, uh, then it would be on somebody else's cloud, but you have no idea. And what's the, uh, what what's the, the name? The, the name of the company is Indie Computing. You can go to IndieComputing.com and the name of the product is UBoss Box. Um, and this comes in different versions and uh, uh, you can buy it right, right off the web. And is that Indie, I-N-D-I? Indie, yes, as in uh, Indie Music and Indie, um, um, uh, movies and all these kinds of things, independent of the big guys. So i n d i e computing dot com, correct? Exactly. Just want all of mm-hmm. our listeners to click on it. This is an unpaid sponsorship. This is an authentic <laughs> product recommendation from somebody we trust. No money is getting exchanged. Just to be clear. Um, yeah. So Johannes, just to kind of drill down a little bit, um, why why does someone? Why should somebody need their own hardware server, why can't they, for example, use, like I have 2FA hardware on Google Drive, why isn't that enough? Oh, well, so, you know, it all depends on what you think your privacy needs are. 
Um, and that really depends on circumstances. Um, you know, a lot of these things have a lot of trade-offs. Uh, but for example, let's say, um, here's a use case that a lot of people relate to, uh, particularly people with, uh, with children. Uh, let's say, where do you put your family calendar? A lot of us have, for those of us who have families with children, there's a lot of organization to be done, uh, you know, driving kids back and forth, organizing with other people. Um, where do you put your calendar? And uh, it would be nice if that calendar was electronic and sync with all of your devices. So a lot of people put it onto, say, Google Calendar. But then what I've learned um, to my surprise that uh, is that many people say they actually lie to their calendars. Now, what do you mean you lie to your calendar? Well, you know, my kid has an uh, appointment with uh, this kind of doctor and I don't really write down what kind of doctor it is. Or my kid has an appointment with a speech therapist or with a therapist, uh, some kind of um, uh, psychological counseling. Uh, a lot of people lie to their calendars because they do not know what ultimately happens to the information that they put on the, on the Google calendar. And so they lie to it. That we shouldn't really have to do that. I mean, if the technology works for us, then we should be able to trust it. And um, if it's a you know un unaccountable uh, third party like Google, in this case or many others, uh, then uh, many people do not do that. Now, if you put it onto hardware that you control, that only you have access to, and nobody else, there it's just like you you're writing your own private diary and you put it you know in your bedroom. I mean, sure, it might be stolen, but it's a different threat profile, and so you might not lie to your diary either. So now I'm going to turn up the heat a little bit. Um... Kali and I talked about contact tracing um, last time, and it feels like we can just keep talking about contact tracing for the next, you know, six months or 12 months because it's going to keep unfolding because contact tracing is where you've been, right? Ultimately, where have I been? What's my location? Who do I trust that information with? And how do I protect that? And how do I prepare for, I guess, technically thinking about, um, and Kali, I want to hear your thoughts on this, how can I provide access to certain authorities that need to know my location on my own terms without having anybody able to track me without my knowledge? Yeah, this is a big question that's surfacing. Um, we spoke last week a little bit about Singapore and how they had um, really strong sort of centralized contract tracing um, happening, I think, both through a smart application, but also through in sort of intensive public health um, engagement where workers were going out and asking people everywhere they'd been. And what happened in the last week is actually Singapore sort of had been unsuccessful in fully tracking people the way that they needed to, to understand where new cases were emerging. And half of their new cases were untraceable. And so they actually moved to shut down the schools and all non-essential businesses, just like most of the rest of the world. So it's, I do think contact tracing is going to be really important to figure out how we open up, but it's not a panacea. This disease is very, very contagious in ways that are really difficult to track. Um, Johanna, I know you've been working with... Um, and engaging with the MyData community and sort of tracking a whole range of apps that are surfacing. Um, can you tell us about some of the ones and how that are human centric or user centric and how they're not sort of sharing data with a centralized authority, but still achieving contact tracing? So this is for me, it's sort of totally fascinating. Um, I think if you, 
anybody who cares about surveillance and privacy, this uh, this pandemic has sort of been almost the perfect ground to sharpen all and focus all the issues that there are. So here we are, we have an overwhelming reason why 24 by seven tracking of people is a good idea, right? If we had all the data, then unlike in case of Singapore, because I don't have all the data, we could theoretically um, only quarantine those people who are most likely to be infected or infect others um, and uh, keep the rest of the economy running. So there is probably many billions or perhaps trillions of dollars uh, uh, resting on our ability to do that. So it's about as business, a business case as good as it could be done in, tr in favor of complete surveillance. Okay. And so of course the Johannes, surveillance gang is Johannes, out in force. Can you just, yes. I want you to repeat what you just said. I think it's really important. How big is the opportunity? Well, you know, the, if I, I, I don't, I'm not an economist, but I assume that the economic damage from closing the businesses in um, the U.S. or worldwide uh, for some period of time is going into the trillions, right? We're not talking about uh, billions here. We're talking about trillions. I, I, the stat I heard this week was that it was a billion dollars a day. Um, in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Never mind, it's a very large number. The point being that um, if you just take the one billion a day, so if we were able to do something so through medicine it, no, or- 10 billion dollars a day. Okay, that's, that sounds more likely. Do I, okay. do, I, right. do I hear 100? Does anybody think it's 100 billion dollars a day? <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot really fast. Right. The point, though, is that regardless, it doesn't matter actually what exact numbers of zeros it is. It's a very large thing. Yeah. And if we manage to open up the economy, right, but one day earlier, or we opened up the economy one week earlier for 10% of the people, the numbers there are gigantic that we're talking about in terms of economic impact. Right. And this is not just some high level abstract number, but this is actual people who can't pay rent and cannot pay for food because they can't uh, they can't take the uh, go back to the work uh, or all of these kinds of things. And that's just the U.S. Imagine how that is in a uh, African country uh, in the global south. So so these are gigantic sums. So uh, and, and contact tracing and all kind of information gathering and doing smart decisions based on lots of information has the best business case, I think, ever for anything. That's the pro side of it. Let's look at the con side of it. The con side of it is that um, if all that information were to be generated and it were um, getting into the wrong hands, uh, then all sorts of things happen. And depending on your political leanings and all sorts of trade-offs, you may think they are bad or they're not bad, but here's some examples. Let's say, for example, uh, I am uh, in the United States and I am an undocumented immigrant. Um, am I going to cooperate in order to trace all my movements and all of my contacts? If, for, if there is a chance that uh, the data that is being collected, which is basically where I have been uh, for some weeks, uh, you know, every minute of the day, everybody I have talked to, uh, am, I, am, I, am I willing to uh, share that data um, if that is going to potentially go to the immigration uh, enforcement uh, authorities? I don't know. It's a really difficult decision on a personal level because I don't want to be sick. I don't want my community to be sick. I want to get back to work. But um, you can expect that I, uh, I see would uh, unroll my entire social network. 
um, which is probably other un undocumented immigrants. Or take uh, a country, um, because all of the technologies we're talking about here in the West, um, in the you know, rich and technology, uh, technologically advanced West, are going to make it more or less in the same way into uh, countries that aren't so fortunate. Let's take a country that has religious persecution. Um, if I um, have been identified as somebody who um, uh, belongs to the wrong um, um, religion, somebody could go back and, to, and unravel my entire social network, particularly what I did, you know, Sunday mornings or whatever the, the time is when, uh, when I might worship according to my religion. And my entire, uh, essentially, local congregation could be uncovered and persecuted. Uh, is that really something that I'm going to cooperate with um, in, in terms of data collection? And so there is this, this underlying thesis here that for fighting the disease to work by collecting and analyzing data, the collected data, data needs to be governed so well and the population needs to know and be certain that the collected data is governed so well that these kinds of abuses cannot occur. Because if it is possible that they occur, people will not cooperate, which means we don't get um, full coverage of uh, in all the data we need. We get only uh, a, a subset and then it is far less effective uh, if it's on a subset. Or, and that's the worst part, people will actually poison the data. Uh, and that would mean, for example, if I go and you know take uh, bring groceries to my co-religionist, uh, you know, elderly friend who shouldn't go out, um, then uh, instead of taking my phone with me, I will you know give it to my friend and go out with the phone, or you know hang it around the neck of my dog who walks around and this looks like I'm walk walking around. So I'll poison the data, um, and uh, as a result, the, the on the health part, we're doing far less worse, uh, far less uh, good as we otherwise could. So this is a great, uh, I think, contrast here between the the benefits and the perils of um, of, of data collection. Um, and I think if we f manage to figure this out, uh, then I think we will have uh, made a huge progress, not just on the disease, but also on the whole question of privacy and uh, data collection uh, going forward. Thank you. Um, that's really fascinating, Johannes. Um, it's a lot to digest. What I'm thinking about in, in, in hearing you is like a Venn diagram. And so there's like two, two circles. On, on one side, I'm, I'm, I wrote down, what, what do we do to trace? Um, and then the, on the other side, the other bubble is, what do we do to protect? And so if we think about these two spheres, um, protection, I've been focusing a lot about, that's the subject of privacy. You know, I wrote down, you know, encryption, private keys, local devices, anonymity, better, better passwords and sort of bolded, you know, privacy. So we do all these things to protect ourselves, And clearly that's your business with with your servers is giving people secure hardware locally um, so they can protect their privacy. Now, what's happening with this pandemic, you know, for me, I'm, I'm sure for others is just blowing my mind open to think that, well, maybe. I used to think that security was the same as privacy. And now I'm starting to think, well, the security that we need as people is gonna rely on this kind of tracing. And so when I think about that, we need open access. We need, I wrote the blockchain, we need tokenization, we need law, we need ease of use, we need liquidity and we need, and we need trust. 
And how do these two different spheres of this of this diagram overlap, and where do they overlap? So, from where I stand, we don't have the answer yet. But the good news is there is a ton of innovation happening, and I am totally fascinated by it. You know, everybody uh, who ha has to have um, who has some kind of view on this seems to be coming out of the woodwork and start a project to do their particular uh, thing of how to solve this. So I'm involved in, uh, as you mentioned earlier, in um, a, a, an effort that uh, has been growing out of some discussions uh, uh, within the MyData community and the MyData Silicon Valley Hub, uh, which is now called a Project App Essay. Um, essay isn't the thing that the, the guy would do to see whether your gold bar uh, contains actual gold. And uh, as part of this one, which is in the early stages, but uh, rapidly progressing, we have been collecting apps that people have been developing all around the world um, that attempt to help apps and websites that, that attempt to help with the data collection and analysis. And some of them are more private and some are less private. Currently, uh, as of yesterday, there's about 80 of them that we found. I'm sure there's more because there's a few more popping up every single day. Um, some are very well known, like the one in Singapore. Um, others are just popping up by some guys in the garage. And on the privacy uh, side of things, there is everything from um, none, none whatsoever to uh, we throwing all sorts of really complicated stuff at it, uh, which has great privacy characteristics, but practically it's really difficult to tell whether it helps us with the disease now or we need another three months or three years of R&D. Um, and so what we're actually trying to do on uh, with this project app assay is to actually assay these apps in the sense of just like the the you know metal assessor would do, um, might be a, you know um, melt the gold bar and see what's actually in it, um, to break this down into excruciating detail as much as we can. What does this thing actually do? What data does it collect? Who gets to have access to it? What are the protections for each data element? Who are the adversaries around it? Who could use this? Um, use this for, for purposes other than the intended purpose. And some of these things are really interesting. You know, as usually, um, when you hear privacy and somebody works, uses uh, the word privacy all over um, their marketing literature about what their technology is all about, then that sounds good, but usually you have to drill down a little and uh, to see what's going on. And so, for example, one particular app here that I have in mind we just looked at uh, has that privacy all over the place. And it uh, turns out that it is very private and secure for everybody except for the local authorities for which it is rather transparent. Of course, they wouldn't say that. So depending who you are, um, the, the, the threat model for the data collection is very different be, uh, because if you're concerned about that your neighbor knows you know, what, what you do, that's a very different threat model than if you're concerned about whether or not it goes into some kind of three-letter agency's uh, big database. Personally, um, I'm much more concerned about the three-letter uh, agency than about my neighbor. My neighbor knows what I'm doing anyway. Um, uh, but so it's all over the place. And what we're trying to do with APSA is basically make this transparent and come uh, and, and make it transparent for public health authorities and for application developers what their choices are for implementing certain functionality in terms of algorithm, in terms of uh, data governance, in terms of architecture, and in the hope to influence them so that they will pick those algorithms and the, those technical and governance choices that uh, provide the biggest bang for the 
uh, bug on the health and the public health side, but have as few um, downsides on the on the privacy and civil liberties um, uh, part as uh, possible. And uh, we'll see how far we get. But it is you know one of those many efforts that people uh, all over the place are uh, getting into to help with the uh, uh, with the outbreak, and that's actually a very great thing to see. Thank you. Um, I th it made me think about backdoors um, and um, how the NSA or three-letter, you know, government agencies, you know, historically have had backdoors to certain systems of critical communications infrastructure. Um, when we look at what's happened in China um, and how effective WeChat and Tencent were at just mandating the kind of top-down contact tracing, you inevitably come into, well, what about Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, right? I think about in terms of the only platform of scale that could do massive immediate contact tracing um, where all the social connections are in place and the location data is in place would be that platform. How do you think that plays out over the next couple of months in terms of um, government needs and medical needs and military needs and in different scenarios. Kalia, what do you think? We lost, lost her. her. She's just deep, deep, deep in thought. Don't worry. I actually accidentally pushed unmute when I meant to press mute. Um. I think, no, you may have just, you may have just pressed the ponder button by mistake. The ponder button. Yeah, kind of like you're pondering. So there's, um, there is a whole range of issues um, that we have to figure out. Well, Johannes, what do you, I mean, again, I mean, the elephant in the room to me right now about contact tracing is, is Facebook, more so than Google. Is it something that we should be worried about or is it just going to take care of itself? So, you know, ultimately, we don't know. Uh, my guess would be this, that if I were Facebook, I'd be very wary to get into this in the first place because I'm not seeing exactly what my upside is and I see a lot of downside. I, I think but, it would be, um, I agree with you, Duhanis, it would just be disastrous for Facebook to try and enter this fray right now. But do they have, yeah. a, do they have a choice and then also, to enter? Because it could get to such a pitch in the next couple of weeks. We don't know that... We, we desperately need mandatory contact tracing. And the only way to do that is just to open up to this platform that connects us all. You know, I think the, 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 this is all, uh, all of the response is driven by countries, right? That's the unit that drives things, maybe a little bit by regions. There's a bunch of cities that do something and regions that do something, but it's largely driven by countries. And uh, I think uh, the response of somebody, let's say, like Germany or Finland would be very different than the response of China uh, in terms of what they do. So I just heard yesterday that uh, the German government is implementing, like so many other governments, a version of contact tracing that uh, is supposedly um, uh, very, very focused on privacy, except that some people have looked at it that I've talked to uh, say it's actually not. This is the kind of problem that we have, and I'm not sure that the public health authorities who push this would actually even have the understanding, never mind the time to under, to understand what the technical consequences are of certain implementations. But uh, I want to push back on the idea that Facebook uh, and its various products have um, actually the data that we're looking for, because what we're looking for is um, 
not so much that, you know, Seth, you and I today met on some level. Um, but of course, because this is an online recording, uh, there is no possibility of transmitting the virus. What we would have to know is that we were within, you know, a few feet of each other for some period of time. And to the best of my knowledge, Facebook does not have that information. Uh, the, we, we could find out that we're in the same you know, GPS area, but there's a gigantic difference between whether we are five feet apart and 50 feet apart. And uh, Facebook does not know that. Let me just, uh, I'm just in order to do that. back a little bit, because I think in some cases they do know. In some cases, the, the defaults that we agreed to enabled location tracking on Facebook and on Google and on Apple products, right? And it's just, it's, it's, it's a mess, right? It's a, it's a gray zone and, and they know some things, not other things. We don't know what they know. Um, but what happens, I guess what I'm jumping to is, um, do we as individuals want to be able to go to the store or wherever out in the world in the coming months and be able to prove to others that we are virus free and that we haven't contacted anybody physically um, in the last 14 days or whatever, who has, has the virus, right? How do I, how do I declare yep. that to get certain benefit, which would be in my case, I don't want to be around people that are sick that could get me and my loved ones sick. Right. I, I think the proving the, the um, proving that one has antibodies, I think that is something that is almost certainly going to happen. Um, that in itself has relatively few privacy implications. Also, it could, depending how exactly it's set up. Um, but if you don't have, if you can't prove that you, um, the antibody part, only that you haven't been around people, I think that has gigantic implications, yes. Uh, my only point about Facebook not having that information is that it would require some very short distance measurements, and there's a ton of people, including the Singapore ones that we talked about earlier, that uh, attempted to use Bluetooth for this one. But even that, um, I used to be in a project years ago where we were trying to do distance measure measurements with Bluetooth, and it is a very, very uncertain business. Um, so I would not rely on that information at all, and I don't think uh, Facebook or Google or all these people actually are doing that today with their devices. Of course, we don't know exactly, but oh, a quick side note. So. You know, we live in, or I live in California, actually, we all live in California, I think. And since, of course, January 1st, we have had the CCPA uh, in, the, um, in California. And so as a form of amusement, uh, I have been going to various websites and downloading uh, my various uh, data that I get to download uh, uh, based on CCPA. And it is rather interesting what information um, various businesses collect about you. Uh, not all of it is obvious. And um, I'm, for example, very happy to see that Google had no inf location information on me whatsoever. And that's good to see because I actually turned that off. Um, and I'm good to see that they actually respected that <laughs> and, and they, they actually have no uh, data about me. Um, which is, you know, a side note that doesn't talk about the pandemic at all, but uh, I think it's uh, worthwhile for people to do uh, to figure out uh, whether or not what they thought their privacy settings were uh, actually are reflected in the data that uh, they uh, can um, download from those various uh, sites. Um, Kalia, but, um, right, so now, Kalia, I'm asking you as a, as a customer. Yeah. So you were one of the first in, in my circle that just took this incredibly seriously and you've and you have been quarantined for how long oh 
Well, I've gone out to the grocery store, but I've been I've been sort of other than that um, stuck at home since about February twenty fourth. So February, okay. So now let's look forward a couple months. Yeah. Um, what or or even you know in the fall, what would you want to see in place before you um, you have trust again in going and interacting with people? I mean, what kind of stages of yeah, adoption of this kind of technology are you going to want as a customer? So I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm most optimistic about the sort of immunity certificates people are talking about that people who have had COVID-19 and recovered at least sort of the current thinking is they're probably immune from reinfection, at least for some period of time. Apparently with the common cold, it's about three months. So if we go at that low end, um, that. Three, three months only? That would explain why I'm getting so many colds. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, apparently. Um, so it, it will, it, other, you know, other diseases like chickenpox and measles, if you have them once you're immune for life because the immune response is so strong. So it's very unclear what the time frame for, um, for COVID-19 will be, but it's not zero probably based on the experience of humans with viruses in the past, right? So to me, that's, that's, that's what I'd like to see to support businesses opening and especially for folks who need to interact with the vulnerable, right? Like if I'm a nurse at a nursing home and I've already had COVID-19, I want that person to be my nurse, not someone who's likely to get it and bring it into the nursing home, right? Or delivering meals to the elderly or whatever. And that we're supporting and that also that there's a a human, like I'm really, I would love to have a contact tracing app where I'm in control. My app is connecting to other people and sharing my information with them. And then if I get sick, I can, in retrospect, ping all those people and say, you know, on, four days ago, we were near each other for half an hour in this context. You should now take steps to um, isolate yourself, right? Like that it's, it's really up to me, the individual to take, um, sort of civic responsibility and sort of be able to have the power to, to help people who may have been exposed to me, then, then take action. It makes me think about the AIDS crisis and what, what steps did those communities take in the eighties to retroactively notify each other? and protect each other yeah um they, they didn't have the benefit of technology that we have now and the question is to both of you is there a, an existing tool or platform that we can use for this or is this going to have to be invented from scratch and, and developed from scratch in terms of software the the interesting question about this is distribution uh, and that relates to funding and marketing and all of these things uh, there's a ton of technology it also it also that relates to, to Facebook. I mean it's the same there's the same conversation yes. is how do you how do you get the the in the, the sort of subtle request the product feature request that Kalia just expressed at the scale of something like Facebook because we all need it 
Right. And then who is putting the marketing oomph behind it so that lots and lots and lots of people are using it, preferably most of people. And if you look at who that pro provides the funding and the effort for that marketing effort, is that the primary intention? I mean, this is consistent with the primary intention of that particular organization. Right. So, so it, because there, what, what tends to happen in crises is that um, an organization might have good intentions, but then there is certain people who have an agenda, a re predefined uh, agenda, and the technology that gets slid underneath it. Uh, and all of a sudden, the primary objectives might be met, but there are secondary objectives that are being that are being uh, implemented at the same time. And that's, of course, the potential slippery slope we are uh, after um, in terms of surveillance society now that we have a virus. You know, when I hear that Palantir is pitching the CDC in the US and in Europe uh, to do that kind of big data analysis and tracking, then I'm getting very, very uneasy because I can see that some sales guy at Palantir talks those public health people into something that sounds good, but who knows what happens on the back end. On the other hand, if we have some guys in a hackathon in Switzerland, as it apparently just happened, that came up with an extremely private way of doing contract tracing, but they can't get any funding to even productize this, uh, and certainly they can't get the buy-in uh, from public health authorities to recommend this is a good thing for millions of people, then um, it's unclear, you know, where we end up with. I would I would say, you know, to, to connect the dots for me is when I when you think about, for example, the Javits Center in New York getting turned into a hospital or hotels, um, you know, taking homeless people in, you know, in San Francisco um, during the crisis. Um, there is a um, an integration of church and state or, of you know, of, of private and public. <laughs> and when I think about what you're saying is like, how do we get the hackers in Switzerland access to the distribution of Facebook without Facebook meddling. Yes. So Facebook to me is the Javits Center. It's clearly a convention hall. It's clearly commercial. But when it comes to contact tracing and this kind of rapid evolution of privacy controls that we need to surveil on ourselves and share that with people, we need an intervention at the scale of a platform like Facebook. So how do I just... I'm just trying to wrap my head around this because it's like, no, there's not, you're not going to fund enough from venture funds or seed funds or, or, or anybody, you know, it's going to, it takes 18 months to build a company or, or 12 months or 24 months. I mean, it takes time to bring a team together. Um, you even saw it with what Bloomberg tried to do with the online advertising effort to win the nomination. Um, huge amount of capital, you know, billions of dollars. And there it's hard to even make a difference. So I just don't see this happening anytime soon. Well, that, I mean, I, 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 the, the Europeans, though, apparently have a 130-member team working on the pan-European privacy-preserving proximity tracing application. So the PPPPPPPT? Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and they're part of the this um, a, a section of the the German a research organization in Germany that has a two point six billion dollar annual budget. So, there is real money and large numbers of people being put towards this problem. Um, and if I was going to trust anyone to build an app that 
did its best to not be evil, it was it would be like the Germans and the Swiss, right? I I I guess. <laughs> you know, there's also the, I don't know. There's also the question about uh, whether any of this contact tracing is actually as good as it yes. should be. And the algorithms that I've seen for contract tracing, most of them seem to be very naive. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this as a derogatory comment, simply as they have been taking the manual work of contact tracing that has been done, you know, for probably decades or centuries uh, around infectious diseases and which how, it, how it's practiced like for Ebola in Africa. And they have been turning that into software. And uh, it is a very uncertain affair. And I think if somebody looked at this um, with with uh, real an algorithmic data kind of perspective said we can do much, much better in terms of producing much, much better results. So there's a ton of innovation still to occur that hasn't yeah. occurred yet because it's all new. And there is a question of is the virus going to be faster or the innovation? Uh, and you know, currently it's the virus. On the other hand, we have no idea how long this virus is going to stay with us uh, if we have to, for example, periodically open and close the economy over some period of time uh, to get uh, herd immunity. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I think what we got to, you know, just this, it's an all hands on deck kind of thing is we need lots of innovation on all levels, on the, on the raw technology from Bluetooth distance me measuring to data protection to what are the algorithms for contact tracing uh, and what are the government schemes around it? Because I think we should have a much better governance scheme than some some uh, government agency saying, we roll this out and because we are the Germans or we are whatever, trust us, it will all be fine. I think well, we need to be much I, better for this. I don't disagree with you, Johannes, that we have to look under the hood and evaluate it. But in terms of a country that has um, because of its own history and legacy uh, from World War II, a deep um, set of uh, a, a, a real lived set of concerns about the amount of information states should have about their citizens and how important it is to be respectful of those information sharing norms Um it was more a comment about not that we should blindly trust what they do, but that what they do is likely a good starting point for it, 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 it being probably better than what Palantir is proposing. Right. Yeah. And, and I think this is, you know, ultimately something that is, uh, should be public, uh, should be uh, subject to democratic control on all levels. Uh, because it is so intimate uh, in terms of the data that's be collected. And in fact, it would be a more detailed um, and more freak, a more more 24 by hour data collection than anything else that has happened so far, including that uh, anything that Facebook and so forth has done. And uh, I think we need to do much, much better in reviewing this on all levels and enabling uh, everybody who has good ideas to innovate in that context. Now, there's all sorts of open questions how to do this technically and organizationally, uh, but I think that's the ultimate answer, and it needs to go into the governance. For example, you know, personally, um, I will not trust any of those apps um, that say this, that, and the other unless they have been um, reviewed and audited independently. And I don't mean the code, I mean the governance particularly. I want to know exactly whether somebody looked whether or not there is a connection from this server to some other server um, uh, that is easy to do. Um, because that's where the data leaks. 
right? I want to know exactly who has access to that private key um, that they say uh, only the department of such and such in Singapore has. Uh, that has to be independently audited. Otherwise, from my perspective, it has no, uh, it has no, um, um, there's no reason to trust the thing at all. Johannes, <laughs> can we think of it like a protocol in the same way that we have SMTP for email or RSS for content feeds or HTTP for browsing or HTTPS? Like, it's as if um, we, we need at the protocol level something that all these platforms will support. We need it on the that, that's the technical part. Yes, on the protocol level, uh, on the technical level, we need to have that absolutely. Uh, and it has to have a protocol, as in how I talk to you, and it has to have the public key infrastructure or whatever we need to do to secure this and all of that. But we need the same thing on a, on a governance structure. You know, who exactly uh, determine uh, who exactly uh, checks on on new code that goes into what gets deployed? Who exactly has access to the uh, you know, administrator password on the uh, database back infrastructure? You know, who exactly gets to connect new network equipment into the data center? You know, all of yep, these kinds of questions. Those are the questions. <laughs> And, and so far in the in the in, in the world that we live in, we have not solved this problem, at least to the best of my knowledge, for any application area in any industry or in any uh, uh, jurisdiction. But this is, I think, where it all comes to the fore. We have to solve this. And you know, going back to what I said earlier, if we don't solve that well, then um, chances are that the data we collect is much worse than we otherwise uh, could. Uh, and that means that you know more of us will die, and uh, and uh, all of us uh, will be um, you know, uh, poorer than we otherwise would have to be. And, and so this is you know on some level uh, you never you know the, the famous thing about never waste a crisis. I think for for the privacy, security, data empowerment, big data, uh, doing big good things based on big data for this kind of um, intermingled. Um, can of worms, so to speak. This is the the ultimate litmus yeah. test for how to do it right, and and I think we have a chance of getting it right. Also, nobody knows yet how far, how does this going to work. If so, then we can apply this to lots and lots of other things, not just pandemics, including social media and communications and advertising and what have you. If we get it wrong, and um, I'm not certain. But I think if I was a betting person, I would say it's more likely we get it wrong, unfortunately. Then uh, we will end up in a global surveillance society of the kind we hadn't uh, imagined before. And, because we can't rip the thing back out. And on that happy note, I think we should start yeah. to wrap this up. Um, hey. Thank you, Johannes. I feel like we could keep Thanks we, very we, much we, for having we me. We could keep going. Um, my mind is about to explode. Come I wasn't out. ready for all this. Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, I, uh, Kali, any closing thoughts? No, I, I think this is a great conversation. Thanks for joining us, Johannes. Well, thanks for having me. This, uh, this is excellent. You know, yeah, I'm very glad that you guys do this. We need to have more conversation around this. Uh, so um, keep, keep going. You, are, you, are, um, you will always be our first guest on PSA <laughs> today. Kalia, what, what, what do people have in store next we week? Have we have a guest for, for next week. week. Elizabeth Ranieris is going to be joining us for the probably the second half of the show. And she's going to talk about an article she just wrote on Slate about how we do not want our data to be sold. Like we don't want to own our data because we don't want it sold and, and what those 
trade-offs um, are that maybe haven't been thought through with this sort of uh, all the language around people, quote unquote, owning their data. And that's going to be awesome. I really like her work. I've read her work, I think, on Medium. Um, and she's super smart. She's based in Washington. She's actually based in Boston now. She's a Harvard uh, fellow at the Harvard Berkman Center. Ooh, I like the, the humble bag. That's good. <laughs> um, and uh, so that'll be great next week. And um, thank you. Thank you, Hannes. Thank you, Kalia. Um, speaking of all those pesty data brokers, I'll make my shameless plug for Spartacus, which is what I'm working on these days to help protect people's privacy. Spartacus.net. Uh, we are a service to help people delete their data from brokers and take back their privacy. And there's a free 15-day cancel anytime trial that you can use now. So please uh, check out Spartacus.net. I'm Seth Goldstein. And on behalf of Kalia and Johannes and all of us here at PSA Today, Privacy, Surveillance, Anonymity, we'll see you next week. We'll, we'll, we'll listen to you or we'll talk to you next week. We'll have a conversation next week.